Welcome to Continuous Dream Behind the Scenes. I'm Sam Kreider. And I'm Amy Kreider. It is March 22nd, 2020. We are sheltering and recording a behind-the-scenes podcast for you. Previously, we made our behind-the-scenes content exclusive to Patreon supporters, but now we are going to put this out there for everyone. And I want to start by saying there will be spoilers in this conversation about my play Wells and Wells. So please do listen to it first before you listen to our conversation about it. Our latest podcast episode, which is Wells and Wells, a story about H.G. Wells and Orson Wells meeting in 1940. Which is a, a true story, something that actually did happen. Yes, and I first encountered the story from you. We had seen a performance of an adaptation of War of the Worlds at North Park. A company called Theater Hikes would do outdoor theater performances, adaptations of literature, and they did War of the Worlds. And it was after that, as we were walking home, that you told me H.G. Wells and Orson Welles met and did a radio interview together in 1940. And I immediately thought, well, I have to write a story about that. A version of that recording is is freely available on YouTube. Right, and I should say the YouTube version, there are a number of versions on YouTube, and they're all cut back quite a bit from the actual interview. They're all about eight minutes long. I found out from the man who directed a public reading of it at Chicago Dramatist, the director was Kevin Christopher Fox, he found the actual interview not on YouTube. I believe it's on the Indiana University broadcast school website. It's actually 24 minutes long, and they talk a great deal about the war. World War II was just starting, and they talked a bit about the Soviet Union and the strategy of defending against Hitler. So knowing that, I cut it further from the eight-minute version and just have more of a snippet in the play and rewrote it a bit. I changed a little bit of the order of what they talked about so that it would end at a certain point in the play. One of Orson's speeches I revised slightly because this was natural conversation. It was very awkward and very wandering around a bit. Some of it was rather difficult for the actors to act because it was so meandering. So I did revise that slightly. But for the most part, this is their real interview that I I use in the play. And your play is the story of the day before this interview. Right, right, the night before, where I have Orson come to H.G.'s motel room to try to convince him to do the interview. And I knew right from the start that was going to be the plot of my play. Orson wants the publicity H.G. does not care about getting publicity. At this point, H.G. Wells was the most famous writer in the world. So he didn't need this publicity that Orson was hungering for. There's a line in The Maltese Falcon when Gutman is explaining to Sam Spade about the history of the Maltese Falcon that you don't read about in history books, that you don't read about in Mr. Wells's history. And that's not explained at all because at that time, everyone knew about this grand history of the world that H.G. Wells had written. It was a huge bestseller. Mm. Everyone had it on their shelf. But now it's largely forgotten except by this for this one line in the, in the Maltese Falcon. Right. Nowadays people know H.G. Wells from War of the Worlds and some of his other science fiction books. Right. 
but that was actually a very small part of his career. And as I go into in the play, uh, and is a very important part of the play, War of the Worlds and these other science fiction books were written at the beginning of his career, when he was a very young man. He started War of the Worlds before he was 30 years old. I think it was published when he was about 30. So his most famous work goes back to his earliest career, which is also true of Orson Welles. His most famous work is at the beginning of his career. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he was he was how old when he did Citizen Kane? 25. So you wanted to write a, a play about this meeting between the two of them. What was the first image that you wanted to portray of that, about that meeting? I had to get into the research before I knew what the climax was going to be, what it was that I was trying to say. I knew I wanted, there was the image of the old man and the young man. H.G. Wells at this point is 75 years old. Orson Wells is 25. So this old man, a towering figure in literature, and this young man who was extremely famous already at this point in his life, mostly because of that radio broadcast of the War of the Worlds, the adaptation that they did in 1938. So you had two people at the beginning and the end of their careers, the beginning and the end of their lives. And what was going to happen as they came into conflict? I first did research. I read two big biographies. One was Orson Welles' The Road to Xanadu by Simon Callow, which is volume one of what will be a four-volume biography of Orson Welles, which he's still working on. The other was H.G. Wells' Another Kind of Life by Michael Sherborne. So those were both big biographies I had to read before I could write the play. And I was struck immediately by Orson Welles' life as someone of whom there were great expectations, that he was considered a genius from his earliest childhood. And there was this expectation that he had to do great things. And that ends up being the climax of the play, him talking about this this weight of expectation that, that he had to be some kind of genius. And I identified that with that a little bit. I grew up with some similar expectation that I was going to be a writer, and I felt that I had to become a successful writer. And there was this certain expectation that I would be this great success. So I, I identified with that a bit. I also identify a bit with H.G. Wells being older and looking at these young people coming up that are now my competitors. And so I identified with both of them in some ways. And I think that I was inspired by both those points of view. Their discussion, their conflict in the play, you're sort of on both sides yeah, of that battle. exactly, exactly. One thing that I didn't know until late in the process of writing the play was what do they get from each other? And especially what does H.G. get from Orson? From the outset, the idea was H.G. was not going to do the interview. He was not interested. And I had to depict how does he get convinced and how does he decide to do the interview? And it was only very late in the process of writing the play, only with the most recent draft, that I understood H.G. might be saying no, but the truth is he does want to do the interview. He wants to do it from the beginning. He does want that publicity and that attention. He's only saying no because he wants Orson to earn it. He wants Orson to earn the right to ask him to do this interview. 
and he doesn't want Orson riding on his coattails because he's the most famous writer in the world and he wants Orson to acknowledge that and to submit to him, to submit to H.G.'s greatness. Once I realized that, I also realized what it is they get from each other. Early in the play, H.G. says, there's always a fresh wick in the lamp. There's always a new match to strike, that you never get old, that you're, you always have new ideas. You never stop. He says that not necessarily knowing in that moment how important that really is. But at the end of the play, Orson talks about War of the Worlds that makes H.G. frightened for a moment that maybe his most important work was from 50 years ago, from when he was a young man. And Orson repeats back to H.G. that same quote, there's always a new wick, always a new match to strike. You never quit. And he gives that back to H.G. And that's what H.G. gets from their encounter and also what Orson gets from the encounter. The knowledge that you don't give up. You spend your whole life doing your art and you never quit and they get that from each other. And that's the takeaway of this play. So you asked, what, what did I want people to get out of the play? And it's that message in a way. I remember hearing the reaction in the audience of a reading when H.G. says to Orson, you know, well, what would it be like if you were known mostly for something you did when you were at the beginning of your career, the way H.G. Wells is known from his science fiction? And of course, anyone who knows about Orson Welles' life knows that that is in fact exactly what happened to him, that he's mainly known for Citizen King, which he did early in his career. When you hear that line in the play, that's the moment, I think, when you kind of understand what this play is going to be about. But I also wanted to emphasize, it's true, Orson's most famous work came from his very first projects, but he never quit. He kept going. He was working on movies till the end of his life. I think that's very important to keep in mind. He did not give up. Yeah, that's kind of a journey that uh, I think the audience goes through when they when they realize that fact of his life, that Orson Welles was mostly known for Citizen Kane. We as an audience know what his history was like, so it starts as a tragedy. But then over the course of the play, the audience can come to realize what you're saying, that you know, he didn't, he didn't give up. He sort of fought against that fate. One thing that... I almost did in the play was have it be a tragedy for H.G., for H.G. to come to this conclusion that my most famous work was War of the Worlds. I peaked at 25. And I almost made that the conclusion of the play and made it a tragedy. But I didn't want to do that. And I knew it wouldn't be an Amy play. <laughs> I was thinking, about, thinking of it uh, that way, that my plays tend to be more optimistic and hopeful. And I realized it's not a tragedy because neither one of them ever quit. With these two strong uh, personalities, it leads to the question of, well, who is, who is the main character of this story? I think you kind of went back and forth some about, about who, is, who is the main character. Right, and whose name should come first. Whose name could come <laughs> first, yeah. And it was difficult. And for a while, I was thinking it's really H.G.'s story because he's the one who has to make a decision to decide whether to do the interview. But then you pointed out just earlier today that Orson's the one who wants something. Orson's the one who's asking for something. So you can really see either one as being the main character. And I, I think they are equally the main characters. I don't think 
one is more the protagonist than the other. I tried a new final scene that I'm not going to use between Orson and his partner Oya 40 years later. And I really liked that scene a lot, mm -hmm. but I'm not going to use it. But I might make that a 10 minute play and maybe submit it as a 10 minute play someplace. One criticism I got at the Chicago Dramatist reading was that the middle seemed to wander a bit. So I tried to tighten the focus. In terms of submitting it places, I've only submitted it to two theaters. One I thought would be a shoe in it was a theater in Atlanta that presents plays in assisted living facilities for older people. I thought that would be perfect. Mm -hmm. I never heard back. Another theater here in Chicago that specializes in historical plays, but they're really interested in historical plays that have relevance to modern political issues. And I think, I, I never heard back, but I think they felt it didn't have enough contemporary content. Even though the idea of fake news, because of that War of the Worlds broadcast, mm. I thought that was relevant. And Citizen Kane as well has a lot about the relationship of journalism and politics and morality, and as well as H.G.'s writing as well. I'm a big fan of his of his science fiction writing, and I think he had an extremely important part in shaping what science fiction in the United States is, not just by introducing topics like alien invasion or invisible people or, or whatever, but there are a lot of fundamental things, like War of the Worlds is a story about colonialism and uh, oppressing less technologically advanced people. Books like The Island of Dr. Moreau, which is essentially about genetic engineering, even though he doesn't have genetics, or about the morality of uh, doing scientific experimentation, as well as when you start doing that sort of thing, it opens questions about what is what is humanity? What is a self-aware being? What rights does a, do living things have? Some of Wells's less well-known science fiction books, like the Days of the Comet, you introduced the book Days of, Days of the Comet as, as an important element in the play, which is not a very well-known book and generally not a well-regarded hmm. Wells book. I find it fascinating as far as picturing what the world would be like if, by some strange circumstance, everyone stopped acting like idiots, if people suddenly be, started behaving rationally and intelligently what that society would be like. And also, would that society be human? Hmm. Issues, questions about what makes something human, what a human society is like, I think is throughout H.G. Wells' writing. Today we have, in science fiction, there's a lot of writing and discussion about what's called transhumanism, about what humanity could become in the future, what we could, ch how we would change, how we wouldn't change. H.G. Wells was writing, was writing about those issues. Uh, his book, Food of the Gods, which is, another, which is a book you would generally be described as, oh, it's a giant monster book. It's about giant, rat, giant rats, uh, giant animals attacking people. But it actually, it's about what an advanced, a super advanced human would be like. What would, what would a transhuman entity be like? But I have not read much of his his later work. Yeah. He would probably be frustrated with me <laughs> in talking about... Uh, well, he wrote a lot. He wrote over 50 mm -hmm. books, he wrote mm -hmm. a lot of novels, a lot of just straight novels, not, mm -hmm. not just science fiction. 
probably more of his work was just regular fiction than, yeah. than science fiction. Mm-hmm. Thank you for listening to our conversation about Wells and Wells, and we hope you will consider supporting us on Patreon. For more about the show and the other episodes of Continuous Dream, please visit continuousdream.com.